0: Do you realize that if you are in Christ, that God is working in you to conform you into the image of His Son? And that you would participate in His glory in the here and now? One day you will see Jesus as He is, and you will be perfected in His likeness and glory. That is a great promise. gives us great hope. And yet God is working in you even now by His Spirit so that you may experience Christ's glory. Now, don't misunderstand me. This is not happy-cap-clappy triumphalism. For we participate in Christ's image and glory, even if and when we suffer for His namesake. Indeed, the very reason we may suffer persecution is because we are now participating in His image and glory. So, sharing in Christ's glory in this present age is for you, and as such, it is part of our evangelistic message to the world as well. So, this is the gospel message that we are to declare in all of our evangelism. Christ's death and resurrection has reconciled us to God, and it is by the Spirit that we then appropriate the work of Christ all through the Christian life. That's the good news. The good news is that while we were dead in our sins, God acted in His Son to deliver us, make, unite us with His Son, and that now we are being uh, worked on through the indwelling Spirit to be conformed into His very image so that we're more like Him today than we were yesterday, just not quite as much as we will be tomorrow. That's the great hope of the Christian life following conversion. So our text today is 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 12 through 13 and we're going to take this text and the next 2 weeks we're going to be talking about new covenant evangelism. First, and how it is the promise of Christ's glory that we preach. And secondly, some of the details About what it is to be a New Covenant evangelist. So, today is part one of a two part study on the character and nature of New Covenant evangelism and how it differs from what we usually think of as evangelism. We are making our way, verse by verse, through this second letter to the church at Corinth. But before we can unpack today's text, I want to remind you of the overall context of this letter, for it is vitally important to your spiritual, mental, and relational health, as well as to the proclamation of the Gospel itself. So, let's read the text for today, <clears throat> and then next week we will unpack it more in more detail. But our text, again, is 2 Corinthians 2, 12-13. And let me read that. Paul begins, quote, "Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia." End quote. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his holy and fully inspired An inerrant word, Amen. So I want to remind you of the overall context of this short little passage, and I want to remind you because it's a study in contrast throughout this whole letter. In the contrast between true apostolic ministry and thus outreach, evangelism, and missionary work the Ministry of the New Covenant of the Spirit, as over and against Satan's counterfeit ministry of the letter of the law. Now, why is this important to you? It's important because these two ministries, the New Covenant of the Spirit and the Ministry of the Letter of the Law, are at work in the world today, just as they were at the time Paul wrote this letter. And that is important to you, because only the ministry of the new covenant of the Spirit will facilitate what Paul calls in uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, within our overall context, being transformed into his image with increasing glory. End quote. Now, we ought not just ho-hum that. <laughs> that is an amazing statement that Paul just read that we just read the new covenant of the Spirit which is Paul's way of saying the gospel the ministry of the new covenant of the Spirit that Paul declares is the only ministry the only apostolic message and it's the only ministry therefore that will facilitate God's purpose of transforming you into His Son's image with ever-increasing glory. Not just in the future, not just on that final day, but in the now as well. Now, that's not a part of the gospel that we tend to focus on. So that language even, being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, may be a little strange to some of you, unfamiliar to many of you. So let me just tell you that both Paul and his opponents, those whom he refers to as super apostles, both he and the super apostles claim to be servants of Christ and ministers of righteousness. So there's two ministries at work in Corinth. The apostolic ministry of Paul and this false apostles in their ministry of the letter. And if you had lived in the first century Corinth, this would have been cause for confusion. Who do we believe? Both Paul and the super-apostles understand Jesus of Nazareth to be the Christ. But what sets Paul and his associates apart from the super-apostles is how the death and resurrection of Christ is appropriated into the Christian life. For Paul, as a minister of the New Covenant of the Spirit, it is the Spirit at work in you to produce ever-increasing conformity to Christ with ever-increasing glory. It's the work of the Spirit. For Paul's opponents, they want these new converts in Corinth to look back to Moses. They want to look to the law as the means of gaining and appropriating Christ's righteousness. Now, this is profoundly important because there are many today, the majority report, in fact, that once you are converted, will also point you back to the law or they will utterly dismiss the New Covenant of the Spirit as being even a ministry that's applicable to the church. So Paul, as a minister of the New Covenant of the Spirit, teaches the absolute superiority of the ministry of the Spirit, and this ministry of alone, and not that of Moses as the ministry that brings saving righteousness and transformation into the Lord's image. So this is full-scope New Covenant evangelism. And as I just said, Paul's opponents, however, teach faith in Christ, but return you to the veil of the letter of the Mosaic Law, also known as Torah, T-O-R-H, As the means to appropriate the righteousness of Christ, which it cannot do. The letter of the law produces only condemnation and death. Strangely, however, in Paul's day, as in our day, it is not the ministry of the new covenant of the Spirit, but the ministry of the letter. That was popular in Paul's day and remains popular today. It's the majority report today. You can see now the implications of this study for you and for all believers throughout the ages. The stakes were breathtakingly high in Paul's day and they remain high today. What's at stake is the gospel in its fullness. So what Paul is teaching throughout this letter, and what I want to convey to you before we unpack our text, what Paul is teaching throughout this letter in both word and deed is that any proclamation of the cross that does not include the ongoing appropriation of the work of Christ by the Spirit is another gospel. In Paul's day and in our day, many were converted by hearing God's saving work in his Son. Hearing of the Gospel. But that's when the work began. That's when the work for Paul began. That's when the work for the false apostles began. Because what was at risk is the imaging, as whether or not the image of Christ would be made manifest In the church. Or whether we look back to Moses. So this reductionist gospel. That points new converts. Away from Christ. And back to the law. Or simply away from. Altogether the new covenant. Is not evangelism. It's not an evangelistic gospel. No matter how much they may call themselves evangelicals. To proclaim the gospel of Christ without appropriation of the work of Christ into your life in a meaningful, experiential, dynamic way by the Spirit is simply half the gospel. In fact, it is Satan's scheme, as we'll learn later in this letter, to keep the church from imaging Christ into the world. And this is Paul's concern throughout all of his letters. For instance, in Galatians, we read, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5, 25. Nowhere does the New Testament teach that once you are have heard the gospel and you've had an initial experience with the spirit and conversion that you are to then try to choose among many the many options that many different men and traditions and systems will give you as to how it is now you appropriate that, that work into your life that's that would have been foreign to paul instead he tells us that it is by the spirit you began the christian life Now keep in step with the Spirit! Returning to the law in any manner is not the way forward for the Christian life. The Galatians, like the Corinthians for example, had an initial experience with the Spirit when they heard and believed the Gospel. But afterward false teachers entered the region and began to teach that it was by observing the law of Moses that they were to appropriate the righteousness of Christ into their character. So, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul asks, Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? That's Galatians 3.3. David H.J. Gay, in his seminal work, Christ is All, asks a very important question. If the moral law can sanctify, what need is there of the Holy Spirit or even the New Testament at all? In the final analysis, a return to the law under any guise is a denial of the work of the Spirit in the Christian life. Now, this may come at you in many ways. There are those who will actually, literally, point you back to the Law of Moses, the Decalogue, or the Ten Commandments, what they call the Moral Law, as your standard for how to live out the believer's rule of life instead of Jesus himself. But there are also those who will tell you, no, it's it, after conversion, you are to do, abide by a set of man-made rules. Now, they won't call it that, and they won't even say it that explicitly. But they'll hand you a list of rules. After your conversion, somebody may say, well, you know, okay, now you have to start tithing 10% of your gross income. And in order for you to work out your salvation, you have to be careful uh, what you, whether you take grape juice or wine in the communion. You have to be careful about what translation of the Bible you use. If you're not reading the King James, then you're probably not really saved. They will deal with issues of dress, how many times you attend church on Sunday. In other words, the list goes on and on and on as to these man-made external rules that they uh hands you as the means of working out the righteousness of Christ in your life. All of that, just like returning to Moses himself, is a denial of the work of the Spirit in the believer's life. So it wasn't necessarily in our text that Paul's opponents did not know Jesus of Nazareth to be the Christ, just as many do today. Rather, their folly was that, following conversion, it was through the law that one appropriated Christ's righteousness into their character, and not the Spirit. And in 2 Corinthians 11.4, this so twisted the truth of Christ's work that Paul concluded that his opponents actually preached a different Jesus. And, frankly, there are those today who teach the same thing. To listen to some, one would think Christ saved us so that we could do a better job of obeying Moses and not Christ. Now, why is this? Well, one reason is that since the Reformation, the entire New Testament has been read through the lens of a 16th century battle for the gospel of justification by faith alone. And as precious as that doctrine is to us, it was Paul who also told those Galatians, quote, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. That's Galatians 4.19. Paul was perplexed, because these believers had an initial experience of conversion from hearing the gospel and had an initial experience with the Spirit in their conversion, but they were now seeking to appropriate the work of Christ, not by the Spirit, but by the letter of the law. Therefore, Today, any theological system that came out of the Reformation, which points us back to the law, are not new. They are simply the heirs of those who oppose Paul in Corinth. And anyone, anywhere, that tells you that following conversion, that you must show yourself saved by keeping man-made rules governing external conduct, is not a Christian minister. The good news is, is that the Christian life is lived from the inside out, out of a, a, a new heart, a renewed mind, a new nature. Through the indwelling spirit, we work out the character and image of Christ in our life in a very real and experiential and existential manner. It's not about going back to some set of rules, some external standards. Jesus Christ himself is our standard, and to the degree that his character is being formed in us, then we are working out the Christian life. That's why Paul said, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. That was Paul's primary purpose for the Galatians. It was why he came into that region, it is why he preached the gospel, and it remained his primary purpose. Yes, justification was important. Nobody advocated for justification by faith alone more than Paul the Apostle, clearly. Even a cursory reading of the New Testament will affirm that. But Paul did not stop at justification, he wanted them to go on to experience and have Christ formed in them, so that the image of Christ would be manifest in the in the church, and then through the church into the society surrounding it. Let's look at another text: Romans eight twenty eight through thirty. So I can make it make my point a little more widely uh, to you here from the text of scriptures. he also glorified romans 8:28 through 30 now that's all in the past tense that's all speaking of an eschatological salvation that has been brought forward by the work a ministry of and the work the finished work of christ and is now even now being worked out in our lives so here in romans the apostle makes it crystal clear It is to share in Christ's glorification that God predestines you. And in our zeal to preserve the doctrine of justification by faith alone, we have too often neglected the last line in Paul's order of salvation, which is, those he justified, he also, what? Glorified. So allow me to say it this way. The purpose for which God causes all things to work for good is that purpose for which you were predestined, namely, to be conformed into the image of His Son. And predestination, calling, and even justification must not be considered an end unto itself. Rather, justification by faith alone is essential only because apart from it there is no hope of ultimate glorification. But it's the glorification in the now and the and the perfection thereof, at Christ's return, that is God's purpose for you. So it's union with Christ. That's what God's purpose is for you. And the perfection of that union, as you're working it out now, and one day when you see Him as He is, we will be perfected therein. So, this is why later in our the context, the overall context for our little passage, Paul tells us that we experience something of this transforming glory even now, in this life, as we await the final glory. He says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. End quote. Now, we're going to talk about even that passage more. We're going to expand on that more in the coming weeks as well. But just try to grasp what Paul is saying there. there, That we are being transformed into Christ's image with ever-increasing glory in the present moment, in the present age. And one day that will be fully perfected in us. Now that's our hope. And that's a living hope, brothers and sisters. It's a living hope in us today. Your redemption, your salvation is experiential and existential in the moment. It isn't only something we're waiting for in the future. So this is the full message, if we are to have new covenant evangelism, that God has sent his Son into the world to die for the sins of his people. And by raising him from the dead, God has begun a new humanity, all of whom share in his image and his glory, both in the now and in perfection at his return. It is participation in Christ's image and glory that is the outcome of the gospel of Christ, not just justification. And only the new covenant of the ministry of the Spirit can facilitate this outcome. Mark that down. (laughs) Highlight it. Stand on it. It is Christ in you that is your hope of glory. Now, let me give you a text for that in Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossians chapter one verses twenty four to twenty nine we read this: quote, Paul says, "Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God." In its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He, Paul goes on to say, is the one we proclaim, Christ is the one we proclaim. Not Moses, not the prophets, but Christ. We read the the law, we read in the prophets only as guideposts and pointers to Christ. We don't park ourselves there, nor do we look back to the Old Covenant to find how it is we are to work out the righteousness of Christ once we're converted to Christ. No, he is the one we proclaim, he says in verse 28 here admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Again, that's Colossians 1, 24-29. To this end, says the Apostle, to what end? To present everyone fully mature in Christ. It is Christ in you that is your hope of glory. And that glory that you can experience even in the present. And the Christian ministry is to strenuously contend with the energy Christ so powerfully works in us. So to help you facilitate that work in your life. You know, I've been around for a while, for decades, 50 years now, and I have memories of churches back in those early days that were formed around a group of new converts, which is common for a church plant. And for a while, there was much rejoicing. But those ministries, many of them failed to teach that these new converts how to walk in the Spirit and what it means to be conformed to Christ. Ultimately, therefore, these ministries failed. Many of them following great scandals. What was needed was for those new converts in those ministries to understand that the work of God in them extended beyond their initial conversion. And once the glow of their initial conversion faded a bit, they need to start working on the glory that doesn't fade. (laughs) Once the first blush of, what it means to be converted had had subsided a bit emotionally, they needed to start working on the spiritual glory that doesn't fade. So let me say it again. Appropriation by the Spirit must follow proclamation. That's New Covenant Evangelism. Let me give you one final text here. The Apostle John in First John chapter two, beginning with verse twenty eight says this and now, dear children, continue in him. There you go. I can stop right there. continue in him. don't stop, don't look back to Moses. don't ask your ministers to give you a a a list of man made rules to live by. No, continue in him, so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. And then beginning with chapter 3 of 1 John, he he says with this glorious statement, See what great love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God, and that is, what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as he is pure. End quote. That's what separated the ministry of the apostles, the authentic apostolic ministry in John's day, from all the false gospels and the false teachers that were going around, even in his day. Now we are children of God, says John, and what we shall be has not yet been made known. So what is our response to be, we who live in this now and not yet status? Well, some would say you're to pay and pray. Others might say, well, do your best not to sin. Still others would teach, turn to Moses, turn to the moral law. Others might say, don't do anything. You're converted, you're good, you're in. Don't worry about it. But what does John tell us? He says, all who have this hope of becoming like Jesus in a perfected state when he returns, what are they to do? They are to circle the wagons and survive? No, they are to go on to purify themselves just as Jesus is pure, not by looking back to Moses, but by learning to walk in the Spirit. Just because we are in the not-yet-status of our eschatological salvation, there's some big words for you, (laughs) that does not mean we do nothing. Rather, the hope that we are even now being perfected in Christ's image, it serves as a motivation for us to become more like him in the now as we look forward to becoming perfectly like him on that day. So, let me give you some conclusion here. It is good and right that we take this study and the next one, that we should concern ourselves with outreach and evangelism. What is New Covenant evangelism? How do we do outreach under the New Covenant? We are, after all, called to go and make disciples of all nations. But the failure to adhere to the ministry of the New Covenant of the Spirit after conversion has caused so much of Protestantism to adopt a reductionist form of the Gospel, upon which all the varying factions can agree for the sake of ecumenical unity, and then we don't know what to do with these new converts. Because that reductionist Gospel focuses on facilitating conversion with little or no emphasis at all on the continuing work of the Spirit in appropriating the work of Christ in transformation into his image. Thomas Schreiner, in his book, The King and His Glory, says it this way. Speaking of our salvation as being a final end-day salvation that Christ inaugurated in his ministry, he says, that which is eschatological ought to be at work in us now, experientially, and and existentially, even in the now, in the present, where we live, where we exist. So yes, we are waiting for that future full realization of our redemption. But that does not mean that redemption is not working in us now. Of course it is. Like those who oppose Paul, many today point converts to the law. Even as the believer's rule of life says their Westminster Confession of Faith. But to Paul, that would be another gospel. Now, there's a very sobering statement, folks. Still others would dismiss altogether any need for new converts to grow in the image of Christ. They would even dismiss the new covenant as being relevant to the life of the church. But in the end, both of those systems, which are prominent within evangelicalism, will be held accountable for such grave errors. don't be named among them, beloved. Listen, New Testament, Biblical, New Covenant evangelism is compelled by the Spirit to emphasize both conversion by the Spirit and transformation into the Lord's image by that same Spirit with ever-increasing glory as we await perfection when He returns. So in part two, we will examine more closely the work of the Spirit in evangelism as being the compelling power in outreach, and the source of comfort in the face of a hostile world, as well as the power to give us clarity in our message. Amen.